senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Um, so if you're new, welcome. I'm Zach Putin. I'm the associate pastor at BCWC. Um, this is our Digging In Life group. So we meet every month where we talk to some kind of neighbor or local <coughs> expert or otherwise interesting human who could teach us something about what it means to love God and love our neighbors. So um, we're really excited for our guest today. Um, Paul Eisenberg is here from Bringing Hope Home. Um, Bringing Hope is a, a nonprofit um, that I've had some personal interaction with in a really a few few really positive ways. Um, I'll uh, try to speak briefly because I'd rather hear from him, but um, I do want to tell you their mission statement is one of the, my favorite mission statements um, of any nonprofits, providing unexpected amazingness to local families with cancer through financial and emotional support. So it's clear it's what they do. Um, I just love this idea of unexpected amazingness. Um, many of you um, who know me and my family story um, know that my wife, Melissa, went through chemotherapy right before we got married when we were engaged. So we got engaged in August. By uh, October, she was diagnosed with cancer. By December, it was stage three of four with no symptoms. And then January chemotherapy, we were married in June. So um, over the course of that time, one of the things that people who reached out to so the, the Baptist Church of Westchester wrapped their arms around us, community members, family were there to show up for us. But also at one point we got a surprise check from Bringing Hope Home um, that was um, covering our um, some uh, electric bills and also uh, groceries. So cancer care is expensive. And so all these like sort of hidden things that happen, there's just, you know, just a joy and a delight. So I'm really grateful for you and your organization. And that's just one very small example of the good work that your organization does. But we'd love to turn it over to you to tell us more about yourself and a little bit about bringing hope home. Okay. I'm going to stand up if that's okay. If they call it, if they need, you need to sit down on the line. No, you're just good. Just let me know. It'll pick you up. Okay. So thank you very much, Zach. You did a great job. We should hire you. <laughs> I'll pay you less money, but you'll work harder. So, I'm very excited to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. You all spending some time to listen to me. And I don't know if I'm an interesting neighbor. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't want to let you guys decide. Uh, so I guess my story for around bringing hope home is uh, started in Westchester. I went to school here in 1983. I came to go to school here and play football. And I was walking on an October day, my freshman year, from the cafeteria to my class in Maine, and I walked by the bus stop, the inner campus bus stop. And often I, I ran into a woman that lived on my floor, Janet, and off the bus comes this beautiful woman, young lady, and I was immediately taken. She was wearing a Westchester phys ed uniform. She was a public health major. She went right to my friend Janet and started talking to Janet. And she was just spectacular. And I kept saying to Janet, why don't you introduce me? And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm pretty persistent in my life. And I got her to introduce me to Nicole. And Nicole was less than interested. <laughs> and I, I walked away going, holy smokes, man. Uh, I found out she had a really serious boyfriend. She was a really good girl. And uh, I was not playing in that ballpark at that time. <laughs> so I kind of kept my tabs on her to know when she would become available. She never broke up with her boyfriend until my senior year 
I kind of kept tabs on it. It sounds very stalkerish. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't know everything about it. I just knew that she still had a boyfriend and kind of where she hung out and everything. But um <laughs> and then my senior year I'm at lunch. You guys are younger, but there used to be a restaurant on 202 South called TJ Rafters that you know where Freddy's is down there by Stone. Mm -hmm. That's the spot that TJ Rafters used to be on. And I went there for my graduation lunch. And I will tell you that it always proves to be nice to everybody in your life as best you can. Number one, it's the right thing to do. And number two, you don't know what happens down the road. There was a kid working there who, when he went out for football, he was a commuter and he didn't have a place to kind of hang during the day. So I said, well, I'm, I'm not in, in my room during the day. Here's my kid, you just go and hang. So we became friends, his name is Michael. So he's working that day at the restaurant and I see Nicole, she's working. And I said, does she work here all summer? He said, yes. I said, can I get a job here to get to know her better? He said, yes. His dad was one of the owners of the restaurant. So God's got a plan. I'm a firm believer in that. So I worked out. I worked there for a while. I asked her to go out with me the first time. She said no. And then one Sunday night, we were working together, and it was really slow. And I said, do you want to meet after after work? And she said, yes. So I took her to Denny's and because I'm a big spender. <laughs> that was my first date, and that was 1987, and I got her to marry me in 91. Christopher was born in 95, and then she got pregnant with Gabby in the end of 96 into 97. She was due. She wasn't feeling good. She wasn't gaining weight. She was coughing. She was tired. She couldn't catch her breath, and we kept saying, well, you know, we have it's winter time, so you have a cough, or it's oil heat, so you're got that dry cough, or you're tired because you're running after a two-year-old all the time and you're not much pregnant. Well, she was diagnosed. One day we got up in the morning, she's like, I can't breathe. I said, Okay, so let's go to the hospital. I'll call your we'll call somebody, come sit with Christopher. And she said, No, I'll go. You you stand with Christopher. So I got a call early that morning. I was already up. Christopher was up. We were kind of playing. And she called me and said, I don't know what to do. I said, what happened? She goes, they found something on an x-ray. Because she was pregnant, so they didn't want to do a lot of scans on it. And I said, well, what, what, do you, what do they say it is? They go, they won't tell me. So she found somebody, a doctor who took her, and it turns out she had a big mass sitting between her lungs right behind her sternum. In the medial steinum area is what it's called. And she couldn't inflate her lungs because she had this big mass. So she was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's disease. She's nine months pregnant. She gives birth to Gabby. Thank God, okay, on January 29th. And then by the middle of February, she's in treatment. She did two plus years or four plus years of 10 chemo, radiation, and bone marrow transplant. And then NIH for two plus years, chemo, radiation, and bone marrow transplant. A lot, a lot of stuff. Didn't work, and she passed away August 2nd of 03. It was just 20 years. That's crazy. Because some days, it seems like yesterday, and some days, it seems like 20 years. And during that time, it was really hard, especially for her. We had a baby and a two-year-old. But we had the best of a tough situation. We had family. My mother-in-law moved in with us. My sister-in-law moved in with us. We had friends. We had parish. We had school, we had neighborhood, we had her high school friends. And it was so many people doing so many good things for my wife, who was just a love. She was just a love. She really was wonderful. And we always, she always focused on how lucky we were. 
and how grateful we were for so many good people in our lives. I'll tell you a story. So one night, the kids were running around. We had what we called the bath time. I was in charge of bath time. It's turned into just a show. Just a, <laughs> It's a lot of fun, but not very productive time. And then we would do uh, run around naked time. <laughs> so I lived, I drive by, I live now around the corner from my old house. And we lived in media, we lived at 43 West A Street Media. And our house had a little living room, a little dining room, a little kitchen, a little, and it was just a track. <laughs> so um, Nicole had gone out with her mom. I was in charge of naked bath time. So we're running around, everybody's running around. And they had the little hoodie towels with, so there's two naked kids with a hoodie towel. And I'm running around and there's a knock at the door. So I answered the door. It was cold outside, right? So it's like probably Christmas time. And I said, can I help you? It's a little boy, about eight years old. And I said, can I help you? He goes, does Nicole live here? I said, yeah. And I lived on the street where it was open. Like I could see up and down the street. And I could see in front of me, I didn't have a driveway, I just had a house with a tree parking. And I said, well, she's not here. What can I do for you? And she goes, well, I have something. He gives me an envelope that's full of cash. And I go, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, who are you? I can't tell you. Who's your parents? I can't tell you. Where's your parents? I can't tell you. <laughs> Why are you giving me money? Did you knock over a liquor store? <laughs> but I, I didn't know for years, years, probably until after Nicole passed that it was her group of high school friends got together and gave us like $1,400 in cash for Christmas. And we, we needed it, but you don't ever want to take it. Right. So when Nicole was in treatment, uh, I tried to go to every treatment. I didn't go to everyone because she was a stay at home mom and I was working full time, but, um, went to a lot of them and I began to watch Nicole and see how wonderful she was. I began to learn about the process of being cared for and being a caregiver and watching someone you love go through illness. And we're, I'm Roman Catholic, right? So we offer up suffering, and I'm, I'm not sure if you guys do or not as a, as a denomination, but we offer up suffering for souls. So Nicole started doing that. And it was very, it was terribly sad and immensely inspiring at the same time. If you could ever feel that, if you ever felt that way. And um, Nicole had the ability to love everybody. She really did. She loved everybody. She loved, so I'll tell you a fun story about Nicole. She was, she was a little bit in a, in a positive way all over the place. More, more than I am probably. But So one day I went to pick her up. We were dating and I went to pick her up at her house. This is one of the things that made me fall in love with her. I'm waiting outside her house for our six o'clock date, let's just say. She was in Rose Street Crossing Apartments, or no, no, Rose Hill Apartments out on Westchester Pike, right? So I'm there waiting for her. And she's late. This is kind of before cell phones were real popular. So I don't know where she is. I'm getting worried. It's 20 minutes. She was late a lot, but it wasn't 20 minutes, 30 minutes. She pulls up at about 45 minutes. I'm like, you okay? What's going on? She goes, I can't. She goes, I'm sorry, I, I should have called. I'm like, well, you're okay, what happened? I was driving, I was at a red light, I saw this woman at a bus stop who had all these packages and she couldn't really get them on the bus, so I gave her a ride home. But she lived in like Fox Chase. Oh my God. Like, and then she invited me in, <laughs> and then I had to stay. And next thing you know, I'm late, we had tea. Oh, that was just the kind of person she was. So everybody kind of responded to her that way. Um, 
And then on about her, through her treatment of illness over six and a half years, my life became very regimented, very specific of what I needed to do. I needed to take care of Nicole, the kids, earn a living, and kind of those were the three things. That's kind of it. And if you're a caregiver, you've ever been a caregiver, your life becomes very small, not in a bad way. It just becomes very focused, very regimented, very segmented. And you only have time to do what you have time to do. And I was very blessed because I worked in sales and I worked for companies that were very flexible. And sales is probably the most flexible job you can have. If you can make your number, nobody really cares what you do as long as you're not doing anything wrong. So if you're just, you need to work your hours in a different way, work your hours in a different way, as long as you're making your number and you're not a problem. So I was very fortunate. So um, when, um, uh, when Nicole and I would, I would come home at the end of the evening and see everybody, I'd say, you know, I just ran into Zach. What a great guy. I just ran into Robin. What a great guy. Everybody's a great guy to me. And I don't see anybody because all I do is work, come home, be with you guys, which is great. I'd like to see a buddy or two. So she goes, okay. She goes, why don't you do an event, invite everybody you like, and raise money for a charity? And I said, okay. Okay, I can do that. So at the time, uh, my co-founder of the organization, Tim Sherry, had sent me a gift box for Nicole and I to enjoy the night at the Old Four Seasons, the weekend at the Old Four Seasons. So I called him, we got reconnected, and he was running a golf outing for the ACS. And he's, he was complaining that he's, nobody's ever calling him back. He's having a hard time raising money. It's a little bit of a struggle. I said, Nicole got this idea. We each know a lot of people. We have a big network. Let's put an event together, raise money for cancer, and only invite people that we like. And we'll call it the Great Guy Day. <laughs> so we did that. And we had the Great Guy Dinner that raised America, for the American Cancer Society. We raised half a million dollars in eight years. We figured out kind of how to raise money, what worked for us. And we had a great time, which is kind of the point. And then between year seven and eight, one of our great guys passed away and his wife was struggling with two daughters. And we heard about it. So we went to one of our sponsors. And we weren't even an organization. We went to one of our sponsors and said, Every year, raise a $5,000 check to the ACS. This year, write them a $3,000 check. Give us the two cash, and we're going to give it to this family together. And that was our first family we helped. Mm -hmm. And then Timmy and I kind of looked at each other, and it was truly an epiphany event, both literally and figuratively. It was like, this, this could be helpful to somebody. So we then became an organization. We became the Great Guy Group. And our, our, our tagline was, we bring hope home. So I had a big donor one time said, I want to write you a big check, but I hate the name, change the name. <laughs> and I said, well, how big is the check? He told me how big the check was. So I said, okay. <laughs> so we owned the URL for bringing hope home. Thank God. Yeah. And we, so we have great guys dinner, great guys group, bringing hope home, unexpected amazingness, and a couple other things were trademarked. Unexpected amazingness came from when we first started, we did a survey of like 30 of our first families and said, what three words would you use to describe bringing hope home? And the two top words were unexpected and amazing. Mm -hmm. So we still coined our own phrase. So I had nothing to do with it. I <laughs> brilliantly strategic, but it wasn't. Lauren <laughs> Rubenstein did it at the time. So we started helping families. And we raised $125,000 from the dinner year one, which was 2008, which was in our 15th year. And we helped 10 families. And then every year it grew, and it grew to 30 families, and then it grew to 60 families, and then it grew to 100 families. 
this year we're going to raise three million dollars and help a thousand plus families. We just crossed nine thousand families help since we started in 08, and we're going to cross ten thousand families before the end of calendar twenty twenty four. So we feel like the ripple has really been really been felt. Um, what we do is we pay household necessity bills, rent, mortgage, utility, car payment, and food. And we don't, I don't know how you got a check. We don't give the money. It might not have been a check. It may be a gift card or something. Make sure you don't take the button board. We got gift cards for groceries. Groceries. Yeah. We we pay those bills directly. So the family doesn't have to worry about it. We pay the bills directly. We try to lower them. And we try to let that family know we're connected to them. We understand what they're going through. We understand that there's, that we're just paying us. We're doing a small thing. But it is, it is amazing to me. That the bill pays big. We pay on average about twelve hundred and forty-four dollars worth of bills one time. But the fact that somebody donated money or gave a gift card or took the time to care about this family is really is really heartfelt. It's really a very strongly received welcome response from the family that they're surprised that somebody cares. And we have families that have bad ways. If we have families that they were in a rough way before they got sick. And now they're struggling, or there's a family of one who doesn't have anybody, and there's a light of hope that gets shined on these families. It's a big deal. And my faith is very important to me. Like I said, I'm Catholic. I've always been very close to my faith. And I believe that the reason that we're supposed to do this is because Nicole didn't make it. But I learned a lot from her experience and our experience as a family. And I felt a lot about what these families go through. And I believe that if you don't help other people with what you've learned, then really it's a sin. I really believe that. So we work really hard to help these families in a bad way. And are we helping them a ton? It's not a million bucks, but it's something. And like I said, we're now at like, we'll be at 10,000 families within the year. And it's important. It's really important work. It's the best work I've ever done. So that's me. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we have, we'll open up the floor to questions in just a moment, but um, I'll start with a few to let them know that they can ask you questions. You can ask me anything, by the way. I'll, I'll just say, none of your business, I'll just tell you. <laughs> what, so you, you learned a lot through that experience of, of suffering that yeah. you and your family went through, yeah. and then you've been doing this now for a long time. What else have you learned since then? I learned that you should ask for help. I didn't ask for help really early on. And Nicole wanted to get therapy because she was struggling. She knew I was struggling. And I was always like, well, you know, I'm the oldest child and I can do this and I can do that. And I don't really need it. We can do it ourselves. And it was such a stupid response. Mm -hmm. I think that the most important thing I learned is that everybody needs help. You know, everybody's struggling or broken or challenged or tired <laughs> and everybody needs help and it's okay to ask for it i learned that i learned that really well i have lots of other questions but want to um invite others to feel free to chime in you do have something by the way robin's one of our team Hi. yeah robin's our Hi. office Hi. mom <laughs> she's our office mom so <laughs> we're happy you're here I know that you've expanded and, and you have um, at Westchester University you have a chapter yes. of students. How have you gotten other folks involved in this work? And you know, you just mentioned Robin. What's it been like to expand the team and sort of bring folks into this um, the purpose of the organization? It's been phenomenal and it's been exhausting. And yeah. It's been great and it's been challenging. Um, 
I, I learned that I like to build stuff. I didn't realize that about myself in my forties. I'm 58. So I've been doing this for 15 years. And um, Westchester University plays a big part in it because about 80% of our team are graduates of Westchester. We had three former interns that worked for us from Westchester and our chief operating officer and our chief development officer, both from Westchester, as I am, go around. And, uh, <laughs> um, to build it has been, I'm telling you, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm in a church group. It's through the grace of God. I really is. I, I'm telling when I when I pray, so I go to mass a couple times during the week. I go on Sunday. I'm in a men's gospel reflection group on Friday morning. I didn't go today, but I'm on a another group of fathers on Thursday morning. I didn't go this morning, but um, so I'm 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 trying to be really active in my faith, very uh, purposeful in my faith, and. Whenever I pray for something in my life, it happens. It doesn't always happen the way I'd like it to. I haven't won the Powerball yet. <laughs> but, you know, we've been looking for an office admin mom for three years. Looking. And we prayed and then we got Robin. We just hired somebody in development. We've been looking for nine months. Prayed a week later in the And when I look back, right, because sometimes you don't know how blessed you are until you look back. At least I'll say I don't. When I look back into the different times of my life when I needed something or our organization needed something or my family needed something, it's always happened. It's always happened. Or when it didn't happen, it was really for the best. And I think that for me, being the hardest thing is for me is to be open to God because you believe you can do it all yourself and how do you step back and really say all right i'm going to turn it over to you you're in charge help me keep my stupid self out of the way and just do what you need to do and let me be able to handle it that's kind of more my attitude these days yeah and it, i mean it's powerful too to think that like you could be someone's answer to prayer and that even like that child they sort of came to your door in the sort of surprising ways that God's activity is made known to us and that we can be taken aback, I think, by that and, and is such a, a powerful But why thing. are we so taken aback? We've done a lot more things, and <laughs> a lot bigger things than that, about helping some goofball run a charity. Right? You think about it, like, it's not that big a deal. It's a big deal to us. Yeah. It's a big deal to me. But it's not really a big deal in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a very humbling when you think about it. Yeah, I think I think um, some of the work right now around loneliness, people are really lonely. According to the Surgeon General, like that's a it's always been a problem for older adults or folks experiencing sickness or caregiving or you know all of all of those experiences. But right now, people who used to not feel lonely at all, um, young adults who are surrounded by other people are feeling really lonely, and so that's why I think it's one of the really powerful things about your organization is it can say if someone cares, right? Someone cares about you and is a part of the community and, and is with you. I think about those in my own life or those I've experienced some sort of before and after moment. You sort of join a club you would rather not have been a part of, <laughs> um, but you see that you're not alone and that there's so many people out there. I don't know, it awakens you to the suffering around you. And, you know, 
what I see with us, like one of an example for one of the things that was so impactful for our family. First of all, you're not allowed to use the patient word in our office. It's a dollar mm -hmm. fine. You're, allowed, you're only allowed to use the word family for our family because they belong to us and we try to treat them as best we can. It's a really little thing, but it's a really big thing. Mm -hmm. So we will have school children or adults or companies that do events like do volunteer time for us and they make construction paper cards. And they're, we get calls saying, hey, thank you for paying my bills. Tell Billy, thanks for the card. I don't know who Billy is. <laughs> it's right. It's really touching. Okay. Some, and they're a little, you know, like. There's no chance I don't cry. Okay. So just, <laughs> it's all good. Okay. Women cry around me all the time. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> but those, those, those homemade cards are so impactful so important and it's the littlest thing like we'll have acne markets come in like this month and box like gift cards that we, we send out to the families for groceries and then they'll do these these silly simple take a piece of construction paper fold them in half take a couple crowns and there's all these like adults sitting around our conference room <laughs> color and sun and you got this and you're the best and god bless you and all. And it's like we get calls from people that are just so taken back and so, so touched. It's just funny. Yeah. Not funny, like goofy, funny, just like yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like, we you know, we paid $1,200 in bills, and but she's looking for Billy. This family's looking for mm -hmm. Billy to say thanks for the card. That's great. Sometimes people don't know what to say or to do when someone's going through a really hard time, when it feels like, it's an unfair or impossible thing, or all the various emotions one feels when going through deep suffering. And so what your organization is doing is a sort of tangible example of like how to show up for somebody in a time of suffering. Is there anything you can speak to about that? If someone feels like, I don't know what to say or do when someone's going through a hard time, how have you learned to show up or what would you, what advice would you give them? Um, a lot of times just showing up is enough. You don't have to say anything. You can just, I'm a big phone call guy. Like I'm a big, I have it on my calendar. This is so-and-so's big day for this reason. So I'll just pick it up phone and call and say, hey, Zach, I know it was a tough day for you. I know it's a mm -hmm. great day. I know it's your birthday. I know right. your mom's having surgery today. I know this, I know that. I was just thinking about it. You don't have to call me back. I just wanted to say, check in and say hi. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a neighbor that you know is by themselves, just knock on the door. Nobody knocks on anybody's door anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you follow us, but comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. He has this whole thing. He's like, remember 12, 40 years ago, you had to have like a special cake and you're only allowed to touch that if company came. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he goes, now somebody come, come in, nice to see you. Look who it is. I got some cake. Let's have cake. Now it's like, hit the floor. Yeah. <laughs> you invite anybody to get the eyes on. And he's right. But just stop by and see somebody. Like we have a big Phillies game called the Phillies Family Reunion, our Light Up Oak Family Reunion. And we have about 600 people that we've helped through the years that are invited to the game. It's game, it's it's a ticket to the game, it's um, a food voucher, it's a giveaway, and it's a, a snack bag. We That's one of my favorite days because we don't always see the families that we help face-to-face. -face. We talk to them on the phone, we talk to them, we email them, but I don't really see anybody because my family department takes care of them. Well, I'll talk to people. There's some families that really want to get to know us and they're they they're completely open. There's other families that, hey, I'm having a tough time. I don't want to, I don't want to keep you kind of over here. And 
I get that. Like I get that. People are going to be like they're get, they're having to take charity to keep their lights on. It's hard. But we have this Phillies game. We get to see everybody. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So probably a moment of normalness too, right? Yeah. We just had a Phillies game. We just had a note from a woman, Jen. I haven't talked to her yet. I told her I wanted to talk. She was coming to meet our our team, but she sent me a note with a picture of her family. A beautiful family, three little kids. And she's like, your organization has done so much for me. You allowed me this, you did this, you did this. And then you let me come to the game to make nice memories where the last couple months have been tough. And, you know, you you get arrested from that. And that's real. So I appreciated that. Pretty exciting, aren't I? Other questions? Comments? or Back to your, your attitude towards not having to control everything and like letting God. Yeah. yeah. Any advice for how to work on that? Yeah, I'm working on that every day. Okay. <laughs> so I I would tell you that this is kind of a really obvious thing. I pray a lot. Like I pray a lot. But I'm super ADD. So I pray super structured. Like I'm my wife, I got remarried to a wonderful woman who's a widow. She lost her husband. She had two kids. I had two kids. We've been married almost 19 years. We each married 12 years happily. And so God's got a plan. We always say that Nicole and Michael brought us together. But she prays like she's talking to God like he's right here, which I envy. That's hard for me, right? So I pray. So I'm Catholic, right? So we're super structured. It's like the ADD haven for us. So I say a rosary every day, right? I say a chaplet every day. I have my way. I say my morning prayers every day. I say my evening prayers the same way every day. So, and then I have this one verse. It's a it's from the prayer of Pope, prayer of Pope Clement, and it's a long prayer. I don't know it all by heart, but it's one part that I say to myself a lot is, Lord, I believe in you. Help me to believe more firmly. I trust in you, help me to trust you more surely. I love you, help me to love you more ardently. I'm sorry for my sins, help me to give my sorrow. I say that all the time, all the time. And then find somebody you can talk to. Like I have this group of guys that I've been going to Gospel Reflection with for 15 more years. And it's all, it's from 35 to 90 age-wise. It's from zero dollars to multi multi millions of dollars and there's a handful of those guys that i can just call and say you know it takes a rough day like my kids traveling from austin texas right now and hamas just put out this big jihad against airports and bus stations so he called and said as soon as i'm getting on plane i'll be home about nine o'clock so i'm struggling a little bit today and i went to lunch with a really two really good friends and pray for me pray for me to get home safely so I pray all the time. Like very structured though. It, it is, but it bothers me. Because you're supposed to just talk to God like he's right here, right? You're supposed to just have a conversation. And I'm like, man. I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, stop talking to God. He's wearing him now. <laughs> so does that help? It helps. Okay. Thank you. Others. You know what's funny is it's I do it every day. And if you come to our offices, there's a big picture of Nicole every day. 
I see her. And I think about her. Right now, it's very emotional because her mom's kind of in the runway and landing the plane, going to the other side. And I love that woman. That woman has been just a sin to me. And she's struggling. She's really, really having a hard time. But I, I had a buddy of mine. So our great guy dinner's now, and it's like 23rd year. I, I, don't, I don't even do math. But we're raising like $300,000, $350,000 from it. And we work really hard on it. We, we have a lot of fun, right? It's like kind of like Timmy, we call it our wedding reception. It's like we show up, we, we crack a beer, we go to talk to you. Next thing you know, we're talking to seven people. We put our beer down, we can't find our beer. But we're having just a great time. But um, the uh, I, one of my buddies came in after coming to the great guy dinner in the early years. He's like, uh, this is going to be a great thing. And I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, he goes. Because you can't justify in your head that you couldn't help your wife stay alive longer. And this is going to be your way of dealing with that. And he only knew me like a year. And I was like, that's really, really off point. And I just, it's become who I am. And I'm fortunate that my wife now, we can talk to her about each. We can talk about each other's late spouses. Her husband was killed on 9/11. He's one of the pilots, mm -hmm. and we talk about stuff all the time. There's pictures of our late spouses in our home together. There's pictures of Nicole with Christopher and Gabby. There's pictures of Michael with Nick and Krista. There's pictures with Mary and I. Mary and I with the kids. So it's just it's just part of who I am now. I should have never gotten a date with her. Nicole, I should have never gotten a date. She, why she went out with me, I was fun, but <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you, man, I always say to people, I married two women that shouldn't talk to me in public. <laughs> this is the truth. Yeah. They're both way outside my reach, way over my head, and I'm a much better man for it. So, but I just, the story, if it helps you guys, the story, if somebody becomes a donor, if somebody needs help, that's really all that matters to me. You know, I think I'm doing what God wants me to do. I really believe that. So. How do families find you? Do they like apply? Or... Yeah, so that's a great question. So what happens is, on the, so we, <laughs> when we set this up, we wanted it to be pretty low barrier of entry to get help, right? So our process, and you can see this on our website, is you have, the only thing we care about, we care about a lot of things. The only thing that's germane to us helping the family is that the family lives in our area, which is on our website. Our family is in active treatment according to the social worker at the hospital, which is completely up to them, and they are nominated by the social worker at the hospital. Those are the only three things that we, we care about the help. Now we ask a lot of questions because we collect a lot of data for grants. Yeah. So we find out how many members of the family in the house, how much what's the household income, what's the diagnosis, what's the hospital? Um are you a veteran? We're trying to find out as much information so we can apply for grants. Well the first business day of the month, families get nominated to us and we get in between 40 and 100 families at any one time. Some months bigger than others, some months smaller than others, for really no rhyme or reason. Um, and then what will happen is the family gets nominated, any type of person, any type of cancer, it's completely 
doesn't matter to us. And then we will probably, the process is we have a family department, one woman who runs our family department, and then two other people. And their job is to reach out to our families. Uh, when they get the nomination form, they call the social worker, verify some information, call the family, hey, you've been accepted into the program, let it fill the family grant. Bills are included in the nomination form. And then the family department, when possible, try to lower those bills down, send the spreadsheet to our controller on every Saturday until those families are helped. The checks go out directly to the families, to the uh, family vendors. That's how it happens. And then we will keep them, if they want to get involved with us, we have families that speak with every one of our events. We want them to participate in our events. We do like five big events a year, and then the baseball game. Does that help? Yeah. Any questions? One personal question. You can ask me anything, all right? In the story that you shared with the like, in terms of how you dealt with her diagnosis, her passing, the emotions of your patient, if you have to share. That. Yeah. Um, so the day we found out she was sick, I'm an energy guy, right? So I'm a list guy, I check off things, I write lists to have things to do. I, I'm a junkie to do things, right? So the first thing I did was got on the phone to Nicole. Nicole got the call that she was diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's, right? So I remember being in my kitchen, calling her girlfriend, Marianne, whose husband just passed away from something. What doctor did you talk to? What's the number? Can you give me the number? Can you call ahead? I'm going to call right now. Do that. Can you do that? Can you do that? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that was my. So for the first several years, it was all about doing. What do what do we need to do? She went to a went to a, a, a nutritionist. She went to a, a counselor who was a nun. Who was also a therapist. She went to a woman who was doing recce on her. What do we need to do? I promised her we'll do everything we can. And if it doesn't work out the way we want it, at least we'll know we did everything we can. We went to like six appointments first, six different places, and all over the country. And then when she started not bouncing back as quickly from the treatment, she was a beast. I mean, she, she handled treatment. Like I used to watch her go through stuff. And it was just heart-wrenching. But she was tough and she wanted to be alive with her kids. Well, that's what she really wanted. She wanted to be alive because Gabby was an infant, Christopher was two, and when she passed, they were even sick. So they were, she was sick for the majority of Gabby, all of Gabby's life. And that affected Gabby long term. Gabby's now 26, she's in Ramming, she's finishing up school and figuring it out, which I'm really proud of her about. But um, when she started not bouncing back and we had to go down to NIH and get different treatments and the treatments are brutal, especially 20 years ago. They were brutal 25 years ago. And it wasn't, they weren't brutal, the healthcare system, the, the drugs and the chemo and the radiation just eat you up. Just eat you up. And then I think that I transitioned from being, I'm in charge of everything and I'll figure it out and we'll do it. Be like, I don't know what to do. I remember praying on my, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I am, I'm out. I'm out of optics. 
but you're going to pay for a peacemaker. Don't let her suffer anymore. If you want to get her better, get her better. And then a big, big calm came over me. He was lying in bed, and I was praying. And just a very serene calm. And she died at home. She, uh, she, the cancer was going around her lungs and her heart, which means she wasn't able to bring in the oxygen that she needed. So she was on oxygen. And she woke up. We had just gotten back from Rome. She got blessed by the Pope, John Paul II. We just gotten back. We went down to NIH for checkup, and they said it's growing again. And so she was like, "I'm just done." And then on a Thursday morning, she died on Saturday morning. On Thursday morning, I woke up. She had a chemo treatment attempt, and I said, "Come on, baby, it's time to go." She got. She said, "I'm not going." And like she was a little bit loopy because she wasn't processing the oxygen. And I said, well, we're, we're gonna, we got to go. I'm not, she got really mad at me. She was tiny, but she was super fierce. She's like, I'm not going. And I said, well, I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to come out with all the guys. So I said, let's do it. Call the killers. Call the hospital the killers. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. So I called Kevin Fox, who's, the, who's her doctor. He's a dear friend. And I said, she, she's ugly. She's ugly. And long and short of it, this hospice change. She went in the hospice on Thursday and she died Saturday. And I got to be there at the end, which was peaceful. And she went peacefully. There was a lot of closure. Um, but you're affected. You know, I could walk around crying all the time. I cry a lot. Like I'm, I'm the biggest crybaby you've ever met. I cry at Hallmark. Movies all the time, all the time. I cry like commercials for Verizon all the time. I swear to God, I do. The kids all make fun of me. Everybody makes fun of me. My kids are in 26, 28, 28, and 31. They all make fun of me. They all look at me like they're crying. They won the Super Bowl in 2017. Wept. Wept. Openly wept. So I think that how it's affected me is I've learned that. You know, God God doesn't have the same kind of list I have. He's not beholden to what I want. He's beholden to loving me. He's beholden to forgiving me. He's beholden to helping me. And he's beholden to being there for me. But it's what he wants. And maybe it was just time for Nicole to do something else for him. And it was time for me to do this for what he wants. That keeps me from going insane. I think. But I'm like, like I said, my, I'm almost dogmatic on my faith. Trying to be more easygoing. And I don't scream at anybody. But it's just it's a big part of my day. Did that ever waver during the process? I was just more tired then. I might have wavered because I was tired. But the one thing I learned that still carries through to what we try to do at Bringing Hope Home today, we have 12 of us now, or our staff is 12. We have a board of 12, soon to be 15. But I think that what I saw, so many good people helping Nicole and trying to help our family and help our family, is they just, people just needed to be something nice to, for them to feel better. Right? And so when you see people, 
good people trying to do good things for other people with no opportunity for anything for gain for them. That increases your faith. And I believe with all the craziness that's going on, there's still a majority, a large majority of good people. Just a lot. We see it every day. We see that our job is not to take money from people to pay bills. Our job is to let people do good things that they want to do. So my faith has grown stronger. I think part of that is age. You've been around a little bit. You see stuff. You see a lot of good stuff. You see a lot of bad stuff. You see bad stuff become good stuff. There's always an opportunity for good stuff. You just have to really look sometimes. So, did I answer your question? I'm really struck by this, like this sort of image of that. I think many of us can probably resonate with when you come to the end of your own agency, your own ability to do things. Like I hear in your story, this love with like a need to put it somewhere. Like there's this love that you've got to find a way, and like that task orientation is something we often do to like show like our love for life or God or the world or the people around us. And then at some point, like we're face to face with our own limitations. And even amidst that limitedness, right, we can we can sort of like put a white flag in the air in a sense of and say there's nothing I can do. And yet there's also a million small things to right. do. Right. So I just am struck by that, like both of those things being a part of our shared faith and a part of our experience as neighbors together. Like you have this moment of I don't know what to do. By the way, I have that moment several times a day. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Yeah, I really do. We're, we're, I'm, not, I'm, like, I'm not trying to say I'm a dumb guy or anything, yeah. but I'm really good at what I'm really good at, but that's only a few things. Everybody's got like the two or three things they're really good at, they're really comfortable doing, right? You get that, right? <laughs> but, you know, there's a vast amount of things that we're just so ill-equipped or unprepared or unstudied for doing. And you just got to look around and say, hmm, I need some help. Like today, I had lunch with a guy who's been so good to us. And I... He's very well off. He's a, he's a super kind, generous guy, but he just works. He's a worker. So I went and I asked him for these like seven things. He just stood there and like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. More, I'll give you more than that. Okay, yeah. Now, you know how I found him? An old Jewish guy who's a buddy of mine. He took me golfing, introduced me to him. He said, you would love this guy. You would. Both of them are now really dear friends of mine. He just said, that guy's probably giving us two, two, three million dollars. Just because. And and then he then he I said to him, I said, I'm a little worried about my son flying up from Austin. He goes, I'll send my plane. Where is he? He said, well, I said, I appreciate that. If there were a more dire situation, I would pick you up on that at any time. And he meant it. Because God God puts people in your life to help you do what he wants you to do. It's up to me, it's up to us to say. All right, I, I know I'm supposed to do something. And then we need this great office person. I don't know where that person is. I need you to find her. I don't know. And there she is. Not because of anything I did, but because she ran in our 5K at Westchester University eight years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. And we were looking for somebody with financial acumen. She had that. We were looking for somebody that could work. I told her on our interview, we need a mom. We have a lot of fun, but we need to be organized. And I'm not the guy to do it. Right? So, God, the more you ask, 
You're not going to get it, but you're going to get you let God do the work in your life. He wants to. I mean, I, I think that sometimes we forget that. I forget that. So, so you get to the, the hope aspect of all this. Can you say what you mean? Like when you're bringing hope home, why the significance of, of hope? I think hope is, everybody needs it. It's an intangible, right? So nobody can put hope in a box or put it in a bag and deliver it to somebody. But when you provide it to somebody or somebody provides it to you, it's unmistakable. You know that. You see it. You feel it. You can't necessarily touch it, but you can hear it in somebody's voice. When our family staff calls our family that we're going to help, it is pure grace. Mm -hmm. They call and they are so welcoming and they will be on the phone with somebody who doesn't have anybody in their lives for 40 minutes for an hour. They'll talk to them every day. Sometimes it's exhausting. It's like any other family. Sometimes, <laughs> right? You get on the phone with your 82-year-old mother and you're like, okay. around the 20-minute mark, you're like, I love you. Uh, I really love you. Okay, I got to go. She's not right. But it's very similar. But the hope is something that justifies... I, we started it, there's only a couple things that I did for me out of the organization. One was the color orange, is a big color. Yeah. That's my favorite color. That was the only thing that I just felt suited. And hope was one of the things that I felt needed to be front and center in what we do. So. We have a few more minutes, y'all. I don't want to stifle any other questions that remain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so you were mentioning a bunch of examples of how people showed up for you guys. Yes. Kind of said, do you have any memories of how people showed up for your kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. So many. So many. So my kids, we were in, we were living in Westchester. We moved from Media to Westchester because Nicole, Nicole's from West. She went to Westchester East, and her mom was living in Chester Springs. Still lives there. And um, you don't want to drive that into Nicole. So we moved to Westchester. And we went, went to uh, St. Peter and Paul. Kids went to school there. Went to church there. And one morning, they did it for two years. One morning, I got up. It was going to twelve days of Christmas, and a group of parents, who I think I knew who it was, but nobody ever told me, for the eight maids and milking, there would be a hot chocolate kit. There was like a kit or a present to deal with the 12 days of Christmas and the 12 days of every day of those days. And the kids would jump out of bed, run downstairs at eight and six, you know, seven and five. And then so many people, rides, friends that I still have friends with, the one group of friends, they just moved to California like four years ago. They would have the Christopher and Gabby over the Taco Tuesday, pick them up after school. If Nicole and I had to go down to her doctor's appointment. Just so many good people. So many good people. You know, and I think that's part of what motivates us is, is how you can't repay that. You can never repay that for people. You can't, you can't quantify it. But if you do it for somebody else, it works out a little bit better, I think. Does that answer your question? I like your shirt sweatshirt, by the way. <laughs> um, anyone else? Folks on Zoom? Don't want to forget about you, but no pressure either. That's okay. About Westchester. I teach there. So oh, I'm wonderful. Really what do you teach there? I'm 
They never let me in Hampshire. I got a, I got a BA from uh, I got a communication degree. So we have a club at Westchester. So I absolutely adore Westchester. My dad is a '62 grad. My wife and I were '87s. My late wife and I were '87s. My wife's late husband was '85. My daughter Krista, my my oldest, took classes. At Westchester before she went to vet school, and my youngest is finishing a psychology degree there now. I'm trying to talk my mom into going. My sister is a 92 grad. I'm trying to talk my mom into going, so we can have the trifecta. She's like, I'm not going. So it's a student organization. Yeah, it's a Bringing Hope Home Club. Um, I'll give you a card and I'll connect you to the president. It's uh, Katrina. Yeah, we just they just volunteered in the event, but but I was the janitor at the Newman Center. Okay. For four years, three years, and I asked. Uh, I was, One of my colleagues from the chemistry department was the advisor to the university. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Great place. Yeah, I, I would love to talk to the students if you want me to. I can't believe the campus. I went to the club meeting the other night. I parked in uh, Sykes parking lot because they usually have the meetings in Sykes, but it was at the new cafeteria building. Oh my God, <laughs> compared to what it's like when I went there, there's like buildings everywhere that weren't there. I do not know anything about the school. Or where there's food, I get in and teach better. You should see it, it's beautiful. You should see it. I'll give you a walk, we'll go for a walk, it'll be great. I've been there Good. for 12 years, but I run to the mountains and teach. Uh, teach. So uh, when I come, I'm going to make you walk me to get a cup of coffee. I have no idea where we're going. So, like, the, the, old the old cafeteria is here. And when I was there, there was like a dorm, a dorm, a dorm, a dorm, a gym, a dorm, a dorm, a dorm. Now there's a gym, same gym, but there's like six buildings on the inside. Like, there's no open space in that campus anymore. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Well, it's still affordable, thank God. <laughs> well, I had a kid that went to Penn State. He got a scholarship for athletics, but it was still way more expensive than Westchester. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, man, I don't know. Any other questions? <laughs> Do you have any more questions? That's it. I'd love to pray uh, to sure. close us if Go that's ahead. okay. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for Paul and Robin and the whole team at Bringing Hope Home. God, you call us to be people who show up and love our neighbors in their seasons of brokenheartedness, uh, God, and that's what they're doing. Uh, help us to learn from one another. Help us to show up in the places uh, where people are hurting. We pray and give you thanks for the life of Nicole and for all of the um, joy and hope that has continue to happen since her passing. God, we pray for all of the folks who are currently part of their family, the Bringing Hope Home family, and all the folks who aren't yet but will be touched by them uh, someday. We pray for Paul's son for a safe landing. We pray for all of the destruction and despair that is happening in our world. Help us to be attentive to both the intangibles and the tangibles. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.